last announcement is why I'm carrying these books. We, we are uh, coming to a, an end of our current sermon series that we're in, um, Be Curious, These Encounters with Jesus. And as we, uh, let's see, it'll be June 12th, will be the first week of our new series. We're going to go through the Song of Solomon this summer. So, ooh, spicy. Um, <laughs> the reason that we are doing this is uh, because I really believe we have an intimacy problem. Um, and we, we think intimacy is a synonym for sex. And uh, we, it, it sends us in all sorts of weird directions. But really, even the Song of Solomon, which clearly is about marital love, um, is also ultimately about intimacy with Jesus. And so that's where we're going this summer. And I'm really excited about that. And to that end, um, with groups breaking for the summer, um, I, I contacted uh, several men and women who uh, believe have an intimate relationship with Jesus and said, what are the two or three books or resources outside of scripture that you found to be the most helpful cultivating your relationship with Jesus? And so after kind of culling through those lists and thinking about some of the stuff from my own life, um, we settled on these four books. So we've got Surrender to Love by David Benner, uh, Emotionally Healthy Relationships, uh, Pete Scazzaro, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, Eugene Peterson, and a book called Champagne for the Soul by a guy named Mike Mason. And so two of these books are in a like daily format, and then the other two are not. But what we want to do is, is these, I'm going to leave these copies up here on the edge of the stage. But um, we've also got several of them out on the Midtown Life table. And our vision for what we want to do with these books this summer is kind of a choose-your-own-adventure. We want to invite you all to get together with one, two, three other people and uh, pick one of these four books and go through it together. You can meet weekly if you want to. You certainly don't have to. I mean, summer is kind of for uh, resting and getting a break from that weekly group meeting. But uh, if you want to meet weekly, if you want to meet every other week, if you want to just meet at the halfway point and at the end, whatever you want to do. But uh, get together with other people in this congregation and uh, go through one of these books and just ask the Lord to use that time with your brothers and sisters, brothers or sisters probably, um, and that book to deepen your relationship with him and with each other. So um, I hope you will do that. Okay. Uh, as we get into our passage this morning, um, I want to tell you about a couple things I saw this morning, a couple interactions I had. Um, I was walking out of my the door of our of 12 South congregation, and I saw a guy had a uh, cherry red, uh, brand new Ford Bronco. It was like right out of the plastic, and um, he was Instagramming his um, Ford Bronco, and he was looking at it the way that a starving man is looking at a stack of pancakes. And he was just he probably took like 50 pictures as I watched, like from every angle. Um, Okay, so pause that story. Uh, then I had a conversation with an, another person this morning, and they were talking to me. I asked them about their weekend, and they started cataloging the Marvel Universe and all the new releases. And um, it was like every, every new release for possible consumption of, of something from Marvel was like they were getting the coordinates to a uh, buried treasure. It was like... And, and, like, as we were leaving the conversation, he was like, man, it's just, like, I hate almost that they released all that stuff at the same time because it's, like, so much to stream. Like, when am I going to have time to do this? I'm like, or you don't have to. I don't know. But, um, 
But I tell those stories because um, we're talking about this morning this thing that I'll just call the buffer, okay? Uh, Y'all might have heard from some, some sociologists, philosophers talking about this concept of the buffered self. Uh, this idea that we now live in a culture where it's much more easy for us to never have to respond face-to-face in real time with anything. And so we get to sit behind a screen, we get to sit behind our phone, behind a computer, we get to doctor images, we get to present our best foot forward, we get to think about things, uh, conversations, and respond to people outside of real time. And it's this idea that there's this buffered self, there's this and, and I think another thing that goes along with this concept is, is just this kind of general buffer of like my heart, that I, I set my life up in ways uh, out of fear and out of shame and out of not wanting to be disappointed uh, where I'm pretending or even thinking in the moment that like taking pictures of my new Ford Bronco is going to satisfy my soul or that or consuming everything that Marvel puts out is going to satisfy my soul. And I don't want to leave myself out of this, right? It's not like there's two idiots out there and I'm the person who has my head on straight. It's like um, I do this too with food and drink and consuming content and whatever it is. Um, it's just in the times where I'm not in my right mind, um, I, you know, it's like we, we were made for this deep, intimate connection, but... That's scary, and we've experienced pain in, in trying to move forward into those connections. And so a lot of times we just uh, choose to live back in this buffer and allow life to just kind of wash over us where we sit in this seat of control. And um, we, we, it's like we're playing house with little toys just trying to pretend like that's really satisfying, and it's, it's just not. And so that's um, what Jesus wants to, that's where he wants to meet us this morning in this passage. So... Um, Who's reading scripture this morning? Come on up, Alicia. Alicia, you're like the most popular scripture reader we have. <laughs> Ooh, did you hear that, Jess? There's a little edge the way she said that. I got this role um, 15 minutes ago. Um, our sermon scripture comes from Luke 19, 1 through 10. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we, uh, we are here because you have called us here, Lord. We are here because you have called to our souls and we've responded, whether we are aware of that or, or whether that was subconscious. But you have directed um, 
all of human history up to this point to have these individual people in this space to hear you speak to us through your word. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. And I pray that you would uh, come and have mercy on us, Lord. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on my brothers and sisters. Have mercy on uh, the men and women in this room who don't know you. Lord, we are uh, starving for you. We are <laughs> dying for you. We are desperate for you. And uh, so many times we don't know it. We, we try to fill ourselves. Uh, it's like eating a bunch of snacks before we're going to dinner at a great restaurant, Lord. We're just so full of ourselves and our little hobbies and, and things that we um, try to use to feel in control and feel okay and feel safe. And so, Lord, I pray that you would um, just close the distance this morning um, between us and you. Lord, whether you're doing that uh, for those of us who know you for the millionth time or you're doing that for the very first time, Lord, I pray that you would come in your power and see us and speak to us and that we would see you and hear you and respond and ask that in your name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so this is a passage, if you grew up in church, um, you are probably very familiar with this passage and the little song that goes along with it. This is not a passage about how God loves short people. Um, this is a, about how the Lord meets us in our hunger. Um, you know, Zacchaeus, um, he was a wee little man, but he was, um, he was a rich chief tax collector. And so if, if you're not familiar with this, um, the, the Jewish people, Israel, they were living in their land, in their space. They were allowed to worship, but they were living under Roman rule. And so uh, as part of this deal, the Roman government would appoint tax collectors to collect taxes for the Roman government, and often they were um, of the people. And so in this tax district, um, Zacchaeus was a Jewish man who was the chief tax collector. So um, there's all sorts of reports about how um, these tax collectors would a lot of times take more than what was necessary. And they were in this position of authority. They were exercising the authority over, uh, over their people, the authority of the Roman government. And so they were looked upon as traitors. They were like scum. They were the low of the low. Uh, the Jewish people um, would, would have zero respect for a man like Zacchaeus. And so this is, this is who we're dealing with. And so much so that as, as Luke writes this gospel um, in verse 2, when he says, behold, anytime that word used is used, behold, it's like, you're not going to believe this. Like, you need to really pay attention. And so um, you have this man who is, was very, very, very disliked um, by his, his people. And it says that Zacchaeus... Um, you know, and, and so just think about his life. Think about um, his existence. Think about his relationships and his relationship to community. Um, you know, there's undoubtedly sin there on his part and undoubtedly a lot of pain um, in terms of, of being lonely and not being connected um, to the Lord or to, to his people. And it says here that he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he, he couldn't see him, so... So he runs, uh, runs on ahead and climbs a tree. We'll get to that in a second. But I want to zone in on this. He was seeking to see who Jesus was. And I want to just, just stop and, and I want us to identify with Zacchaeus here. Um, he was seeking to see who Jesus was. Like, is, is that really going to satisfy him? 
Like he had in his mind, he had heard all these things about this Jesus. He had heard about the things that he had done. He had heard about the things that he was teaching, the way that he was talking about God. And he just wanted to see who he was. So like his plan is that he's going to get up in this tree and, and it doesn't matter that he's in a tree. It doesn't matter where he is, but he is going to be at this distance. He's going to be at this safe distance from Jesus where he can just in the solitude of his own mind um, watch Jesus walk by. And I want to ask, like, does anyone think that that's going to be satisfying? I mean, what, what is he? <laughs> okay, there he is. All right, good. I saw him. I'm glad I saw him. But what he does is he is so hungry. Like what, what we need to know also is that um, in this culture, men don't run and men don't climb trees. And, and it's like a big deal. Like uh, there's, there's a book out there, uh, Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes, and there's a chapter on this passage. And the man tells a story about how even now, like even in modern days, the last hundred years, um, you don't do stuff like this. Like it brings shame and it's a, a major, major faux pas. And so um, this man is so hungry to see, see Jesus um, that he runs on ahead and he climbs this tree. And, you know, good thing for him is, is he was enabled to do this by the fact that he was a tax collector. He had really nothing left to lose. Um, he was shameless. And so he goes and he climbs this tree and he's waiting to see Jesus. But why is he doing this? Why is he going to these links? Why is he... He wanting to see Jesus and, and more. He wants more. Like, what is he looking for? And the reality is, at this point, he probably doesn't even know. And that's like us a lot of times. It's like there's just this hunger in us, and there's this draw to, to these, these people or these things, um, and we don't even know why, but there's something in us that's stirring. And so something in him was stirring, and, and he's, he's, he thinks he's wanting to see Jesus, but he wants so much more than that. It's like, I mean, just, you know, if you, if you look at your own life and you're able to see all these places where you are starving for intimacy with Jesus, um, if you don't see that's what's going on, it makes us do all sorts of weird things. Some of those things are really perverse. Some of those things aren't perverse at all. They're just weird, but it gets us behaving in all these strange ways where we're trying to get this thing that we were made for without getting close enough to this thing that we were made for. And so if you want to think about sex as an example, um, you can sort of climb the ladder of intimacy. It's like people start looking at images and that's not enough. So they want to um, have illicit relationships, but that's not enough. Why? Because there's no heart. There's no real relationship there. And so then they just want to have casual relationships. And that's not enough. Why? Because, again, there's not enough there. And so then they want to have real relationships, but real relationships apart from Jesus. And guess what? That's not enough because that, there's, there's something missing from the equation. And so then we get into healthy relationships uh, with Jesus in the center of them. And guess what? That's still not enough. Why? Because it's not about that relationship at all. It's about the Jesus that's in that relationship, and that relationship is a gateway to more Jesus because that is what we were made for. And so 
in all sorts of different ways, we find ourselves doing what he's doing here is just trying to be in this buffered life where I can get a glimpse of what I think is going to satisfy me, but I'm still sitting in a seat of control where I can't get disappointed, I can't get hurt, I don't have to feel shame, I don't have to get too close. And what we want, we don't want to see who Jesus is. No matter what we say, we don't want to just see who he is. We want what David prays in Psalm 27. One thing I've asked of the Lord, the one thing in my life that I will seek after, that is worth seeking after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to do what? To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. But not just gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, to inquire in his temple, to have a relationship with him, to talk with him, to ask him questions and him answer. And he asked me questions and I answered. To have an intimate relationship with the Lord and to gaze upon him and to soak him in. That is what we were made for. That is, that is what we want. That's what he wants. But he just doesn't know it yet. And sometimes we don't know it yet. And then we watch as Jesus closes the distance. Um, and I want you to just think and put yourself in Zacchaeus' shoes. You know, he is up in this tree uh, for shame, for his own sin. He knows that in his heart he realizes I am filthy when it comes to my people and my God. I am filthy and he probably wants nothing to do with me. But I'm still hungry for him. Uh, but also think about his pain. Like, Nobody in the crowd is offering to like slide by and let him get up closer where he can see because they hate him. Nobody likes him. He is alone. And so in this pain and shame, he is, finds himself up in this tree, um, hidden by the foliage of the sycamore tree. And then Jesus is walking by on the road. And think about this moment. Think about the moment where Jesus turns his head and looks up into the tree and locks eyes with Zacchaeus. And as, as wonderful and thrilling as that feeling was, uh, it's also terrifying. Because now you're no longer in control. You're not just a, a bystander watching the parade go by. Like you are engaged. It goes from third person to first person like that. And Jesus snaps his head, locks eyes with Zacchaeus, and uses his name and cause him to come closer. And this is where it gets interesting. Because what Jesus does here is Zacchaeus has built this whole world on who he thinks he is, what he thinks he needs, what he thinks is possible. And Jesus just knifes through all of it in a split second. And he looks at him in the eyes and he says, Zacchaeus, hurry down right now. And this is where it gets interesting because now there's, there's new life. There's a new choice, but it's still a choice. Am I going to take Jesus at his word and hurry down to see him and believe that when I get down there, he's not going to crush me? Or am I going to stay up in this tree because I'm listening to myself more than I'm listening to him? Hey, thank you for that invitation, but no, no I'm just terrible. And like, I know you really don't want to see me. And, you know, we do that a lot right? Like this is God's word to us that is fixed forever for all human history and beyond into eternity. And this tells us that what God says to Zacchaeus, he says to us in Jesus. 
There is nothing that separates you from me anymore at all. Come down, hurry down, and receive me with joy. Receive the very one that you were made for. And there's still so many times where we say, no, no thank you. Why? Well, because, because I, I, it's, it's like um, putting myself in spiritual timeout. Because I did this bad thing, and I know you're probably not going to see me for a day or two, so I'm just going to like keep my distance over here, and maybe when I do some more good things, I'm going to come closer, and we'll see if we can eventually get there. And, and really what that is, um, it can feel really noble, but it's, it's really sinful. Because Jesus is telling you, get out of the tree and come to me right now. And we are saying no, because I don't believe you. I think you're a liar. And I think what I have done and what I think and, and what I feel is so wrong and so bad that it actually trumps your power to do anything about it. And so please, please, if you don't hear anything else today, hear this. Living like that is not good. It is actually evil. That's what we call unbelief. That's what we call pride. That's what we call self-focus. And he wanted to see who Jesus was. Um, and now, not only can he see who Jesus was, but um, when he came down and received him a joy, he can see everything. <laughs> he can see everything a lot more clearly. Um, and you see this beautiful, uh, well, we'll get to that in a second. But um, I want us to see this too. It's not just that Jesus is coming and like doing this favor for Zacchaeus. It's not that Zacchaeus was made for Jesus and Jesus is just being a really kind guy and making this thing happen. It's that this is all a two-way street. Um, it's not only that Zacchaeus was made for intimacy with God, but that Jesus longs for Zacchaeus. Listen to his invitation. Zacchaeus, he's calling this man by name. I'm not just looking for any person who's going to respond. I am coming, as he says in John 4, to seek and save the lost, specific people, the sons and daughters of God who have run away and gotten lost. I am looking for my specific. I mean, it's like we have four sons. If, if I'm in a crowded, if I'm somewhere like Disney World, I'm in this crowd and all four of them run away, I'm not looking for the first four kids that are going to come home with me. Like, I came with four, I'm going to leave with four. As long as we get four, we're good. That's crazy. And I'm going to be arrested in the process. <laughs> God is a good father. When his specific children are lost, he is going to go find those children. There is no substitute. So it's not just that Jesus is like, hey, man, we're just good. God's good and he's looking for people. Like, come on. No, he, he is, Zacchaeus is the son of God, and he is lost. And so God the Father is going to look for Zacchaeus, his son. So he says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. Hurry, hurry and come closer. Get closer to me, for I must stay at your house today. I have to come and dwell with you. 
And this is a foretaste. This is a little picture of what we are doing on a cosmic scale. I am coming to dwell with you. I'm calling you to myself to dwell with me. Isn't that what salvation is? Closing the distance that exists between God and man to enable dwelling together in intimacy forever? And that's what he says. He says, today salvation has come to this house since he is also a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. So again, God covenanted a long time ago with Abraham and said, I am going to be your God to you and your descendants, and you are going to be my people, and that's how it's going to be forever. And then Paul tells us in Galatians, when he says your descendants, Abraham's descendants are the people who hear this message and respond. Your descendants, Abraham's descendants, the people that God has made a covenant with are any of us, anyone who hears this message and gets out of the tree and says, I want that. And so he is Abraham's descendant. God has made a covenant with him for all eternity to go and get his lost sons and daughters. And listen to this. Um, we can't, <laughs> we couldn't unpack this if we had a year to, but I want y'all to go and spend some time meditating in Ephesians 1 this week. Just listen to some of this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Like we, God's children, were chosen in him before we even breathed our first breath. He knew who we were before he created us. And it says, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus, sons and daughters according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in Jesus, his beloved. And now we are his beloved too. And he's lavished his grace upon us through him. So it is totally understandable why you and I want to just see who Jesus is from a safe distance, um, but you will not be able to rest there. You will find no rest for your soul there. And Jesus will not rest there either. He is coming after you. And this crowd, we haven't talked about the crowd yet, but the crowd is sickened uh, by Jesus' love for Zacchaeus. They grumble that he has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And if they could see into eternity and in the cosmic scope of things, they would be puking their brains out because they would be way more disgusted than the fact that Jesus is coming in to be the guest of a man who's a sinner? How about the fact that Jesus has come into a world that has been infected and is polluted with sin? It's like the way that like uh, air pollution is such a problem in Hong Kong. It's like, think about all of creation as that. This thing that is sin that is marring and warping and, and disfiguring everything good and beautiful that God has created Jesus comes into that pollution, but he doesn't just come into that. He comes into the sin itself. He comes into the sin of every son and daughter of God. Every sin, every wrong, everything that deserves God's wrath and judgment is literally goes into Jesus and is judged and is, is forever condemned on the cross. He takes all of the filth of Nicodemus and of me and of you into himself and these bystanders in the crowd. 
and he is, he is crucified and he is severed from God so that we can have life, so that we can be his guest, so that he can dwell with us and we can dwell with him forever. To find his children, to cleanse us from all of our sin and make us new so that we can dwell together with him for all eternity. And when, and when Jesus does this for Zacchaeus, um, I don't want us to, to, to get this twisted here. Zacchaeus' response of how he is going to use his money and how he's going to behave from here on, this is not Zacchaeus making a vow out of his own power. This is the overflow of a changed heart. When we come to Christ, God is not asking us to make some big sacrifice for him. He's asking us to receive him and dwell with him and then let him change us. And when he changes us, it is going to overflow and we're going to start seeing correctly and want to do things like this because he's giving us a new heart. So where do we go from here? Uh, we go the same place Zacchaeus went. We go with joy. We go with joy to Jesus, confess our self-focus and our pride and not taking Jesus at his word and, and hurry joyfully to receive him and dwell with him as God's beloved, whether that's for the first time or, or that's for the, the millionth time. Father, um, Lord, thank you for this word that is so uh, life-giving. Lord, I pray that you would make us absolutely sick. Um, make us sick of all of our little hobbies and all of the things that we consume and all of the ways that we try to manipulate people to find life apart from you. Lord, would, would you just take away all these little things so that we, we are just forced to turn to you? And then would you show us? Would you open our eyes? Would you draw us in? Would you lead us to a deeper life in you? Would you lead us to experience what is already ours in you, Jesus, that we just can't see? Um, would you continue to open our eyes and our minds and our hearts and change our affections and um, help us to access uh, what is ours in you? Um, and, and be with our sister Amy as she comes and, and shares about how you have been doing this work in her life. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey y'all, I'm Amy Marino, um, and yeah, my testimony of encountering Jesus is a lot about how he met me in my self-criticism, so that's what I'll be talking about. Um, I grew up going to church and hearing the Bible stories. I knew who Jesus was, just not really who he was to me. Um, adolescence was really hard for me. I was constantly in trouble <laughs> and never hitting the mark as a daughter, as a student, as, you know, fill in the blank. Um, so a lot of the time when I would pray, it would mostly be for God to change me and make me a better person or a good person or good at something. Um, so I would be met with a lot of disappointment and confused by God and and Jesus when I'd be met with like another mess up or failure the next day. And so I developed a really terrible thought life about myself and um, I started to seek relief in things like popularity, 
uh, cheapened intimacy with my boyfriend, alcohol, music, art, whatever. <laughs> and um, no surprise, those things really only made uh, my thought life worse and things worse for me because they weren't fulfilling what I was hoping. They weren't making me feel better about myself. Um, yeah, uh, a common journal entry during that time of my life as I was like preparing for this and looking was I wish I was anyone other than me. Um, so in college, it was uh, on an especially bleak and personally painful night of just like feeling like a failure. I found myself on the floor of my <laughs> my dorm room and crying out to Jesus, asking him for help and deliverance from the hurt and failure I was experiencing. And I kind of expected the same thing to happen, that it would be um, a mess up after mess up. And But it was different. I knew that it wasn't up to me this time. It felt like a surrendering. And um, that same year, I met Audrey. Uh, she was a Christian, but she was different than anyone that I had met. Uh, she had a freedom about her that allowed her to be like confident and yet really open about her shortcomings. And I wanted to be as close to her as possible. Um, she loved me and even somehow she like wanted to be uh, good friends with me even though our lifestyles were very different. And uh, as we became closer, I started to share with Audrey my feelings about myself or my beliefs about myself. And she didn't give me like cheap affirmations uh, or like trivial ones of you're great. Uh, she pointed me to the truth of who I was in Christ. So chosen, loved, worthy, free from condemnation, even in ongoing mess ups. And uh, slowly I've started to believe it. <laughs> Um, my inner voice that is still critical hasn't fully gone away by any means, but it's a lot quieter now, and I know how to run from it and run to Jesus. Um, whenever I feel myself spiraling or becoming hyper-focused on one of my shortcomings, I pray. I have a, pray that I, a prayer that I've kind of just been quick to jump to, which is Jesus, be my hope, my peace, my strength and I try and meditate on what that means to me after I say it and pray it. Because when things feel hopeless, I find freedom in my understanding that in my hopelessness, in my hopeless state, Jesus looked lovingly at me and called me his. <laughs> he lived a perfect life, the only one acceptable to God and gave himself up as a sacrifice on my behalf by dying the death I deserved for my failures. And so that's Jesus as my hope. I have peace because he rose from the dead, <laughs> which means the weight of my sin couldn't defeat him. I have access to God because when God looks at me, he doesn't see Amy, but instead he sees the righteousness of Christ. And lastly, I have strength in Jesus because he gave me his Holy Spirit who acts on my behalf. And the reality of my weaknesses and inabilities and failures makes him all the more strong. He will never abandon me. So Psalm 139, 23 through 24 says, 
Search me, O God, and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. So, praise God (laughs) for saving me from my self-hatred, self-criticism, and leading me to himself through Jesus. Um, Yeah, that's it. (laughs) 